We're in a series right now called Sex, Kids, and Rock and Roll, and I've uh, been talking about intimate relationships, how to be connected to the heart of God, connected. Last week, of course, we talked about uh, marriage, connected to each other's hearts there, and this weekend we want to talk about kids, how do we connect as parents, as the aunt, the uncle, the grandparent, the mentor, the big brother, how do you connect with someone's heart when you're in that parental role and space in someone else's uh, life. And then as children, then how do we connect back into the, uh, the hearts of our parents? Let's kind of frame this up a little bit. We talked last weekend about marriage, and we said marriage is between three people, not two, right? So marriage is between three people, not two. It's between a husband, a wife, and God. Those three people woven together is the key to intimacy in marriage of oneness of heart. When you think about parenting, parenting is between four people, not three. So there's a mother, there's a father, there's a child, and then there's God. The mother, the father, ideally married. For many of us, that's not the case. We've grown up through divorce, have had to go through that ourselves. That's irrelevant when it comes to parenting. As a father, whether you're in the home or not, as a mother in the home or not, you will forever have a lifelong impact on the lives of your children because of the uniqueness of what parenting is. There's two relationships in our lives that we can't control, and it's who our parents are and who our children are. I know we can't control that because many of us would have swapped out by now, right? So we can't control that. They're completely in God's control. God decided before the foundations of the earth were laid who your parents were going to be, Then on the other side of that, God decided before the foundations of the earth were laid who your children are going to be. There's no other relationship like that, even marriage, right? I chose Heidi, chose Stocked. It's all kind of the same thing, but I got her, and now we own property. So it's, we're together, right? But I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose my children. Those were God's decisions. And because of that, parenting is deeper than behavior and deeper than managing someone who's younger than you's life. Parenting actually goes to the soul, to the soul of a child and from a child's soul to the parents. There's a spiritual connection that God created and that connects us. If you've lost your parents or been abandoned by your parents or were abused by your parents, It's not just that you didn't have a healthy environment, it's that your soul was scarred. And of course, on the parental side of it, if you've ever been hurt by your children, if you've ever lost a child, there is no deeper wound. Why? Because we're connected at that soul level. So when we say that parenting isn't between three people, it's between four, that's what we are talking about. It's impossible for me to be a good parent if I'm not factoring my relationship with Christ into the equation. He must be a part of it. He created the relationship in the first place. So if he's not defining it, right, my chances of success are very, very low. Parenting is much less about controlling behavior, managing schedules, getting them to choose apple wedges instead of french fries. And it has everything to do with defining God to someone to which I have a oneness, a connection of the soul, right? So when we talk about parenting, that's the level of what we're talking about. Now, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt, your uncle, a big brother, big sister, a mentor, 
you can pull these principles into those relationships, but there is a uniqueness about parenting. So we're going to look a little bit about what the Bible has to say about it. Here's the first disclaimer. There is no formula for good parenting. Did you hear me? There is no good formula. There's no formula for good parenting. So the Bible does not give you 10 steps to a perfect child. If somebody ever tells you that, you should punch them in the face. If they ever write a book about it, you should punch the book in the face. It makes you feel better, right? Because there is no biblical formula for a perfect kid. That's not the way parenting works. Two plus two does not equal perfect kid. Your children are individuals. They must have an individual relationship with God. They have an individual sin nature that they have to surrender to God. So we have to get that mindset away from us. It's false. It leads to false guilt, false failure. It's actually kind of uh, an accusatory mindset that my kids would have turned out right if I had done everything right. The perfect father, our heavenly father, has the most rebellious children, okay? And so remembering that, that we have to decide how to interact with God. I've seen great parents have terrible kids. I've seen terrible parents have great kids. It's how we respond to God. So when the Bible gives us parenting principles, they're principles and directives. And what it's teaching us is how to position ourselves so that we can give the clearest view of God to our children. What our children do with that is up to them, okay? What we do to position ourselves and define things correctly as parents is up to us. How our children respond to that is up to them. So let's talk about this. Grab your Bibles, open them up to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter six is where we're gonna go. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 126 in those Bibles. And if you're smartphone, iPad folks, we use the version app. So you can open that or download it, hit live, and our zip code is 44333. Deuteronomy chapter six is God speaking to his people about how to connect to his heart. He gives them a promise and he says, guys, if you stay connected to my heart, I'll stay connected with you and we'll be in close relationship and that will bring about blessing in your life. And then he talks specifically to parents and he says, I want you to pass these truths down. I want you to teach your children to connect to my heart as well. Deuteronomy chapter six is not a to-do list. Maybe you've been around church before. You might've heard somebody teach it like that. It's not really a to-do list. They're not wrong. It's just probably an incomplete way to see it. What it is, it's a more of a direction. This is what God wants. This is his longing. And when we lock into it, we lock into his heart, which causes us to lock into the hearts of other people. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And let's pick this apart a little bit because I think what God gives us is a pathway to his heart, which winds up being kind of a strategy for good parenting to define God correctly to our children. As God is laying this out for his people, it's fascinating where he starts. He starts with this very strong 
very definitive, very unapologetic statement in verse four. It says, hero Israel, Israel was the people of God today. It would be the church, Israel and the church work differently, but in that principle, you can apply it both ways. So here, people of God, people who would know me, who would call my name, who would be familiar with me. So people who are already supposed to be followers of God, God makes this really, really strong statement. And he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why does he say that? And what's he talking about? Let's frame it up a little bit. Remember, Israel at this point, God's people have been in captivity in Egypt for hundreds of years, right? So they've been slaves for hundreds and hundreds of years. Moses, who's writing this, walks in, God does miracles, frees the people of Israel, and they head out toward the promised land. So for hundreds of years, for generation upon generation upon generation, Israel had known the one true God, practiced what we would think of as Judaism, right? Worshiping the one true God, but had done that in a culture that worshiped many, many, many gods. A culture that worshiped many gods and placed equal value on each one of those gods. So Israel had kind of grown up in this. It had been a long time since there was this monotheistic culture that they were a part of. They practiced that, but in this greatest culture, now they're going to the promised land. They're gonna go into this promised land and interact with other people who also worship multiple gods, and each of those gods were equal in value to those people. That mindset would have crept into the people of Israel. Well, who do you worship? Well, I'm a Yahweh follower. What about you? I'm in raw, right? And now we're friends. So Bill's a good guy. He just worships, he's of a different faith than me, right? Because that's a very common ancient Egyptian name, Bill, right? And Steve's a good guy, another one right out of old Egypt. Uh, He's a good guy, but he worships a different God than me. But you know what? He loves his family. He cares. He's a good guy. I'm a good guy. We're all good guys. We're spiritual people. We're moral people. We're religious people. And after all, isn't that what it's all about? That mindset would have been translated in practical terms into a person who wasn't deeply committed to following God. And it would have sounded something like this, a lot like it sounds in our culture. You know what? We need to be healthy people. And in order to be healthy, we need to be balanced. So I need to be physically healthy. So we choose apple wedges over french fries, which by the way, kids, is a really bad choice. But right, we do that. And then I need to be healthy emotionally. I need to be able to communicate my heart, get my feelings out, don't stuff things in. And then I need to be healthy spiritually to be a well-rounded, well-balanced person. I need to have a spirituality. I need to have a morality. I need to have a, a religious interaction. In fact, I believe that so strongly that as a parent, I want that for my kids. I want my kids to go to Sunday school. I want them to know the golden rule. I want them to know about David and the giant pickle. I want them to know all those old Bible stories so when the football coach uses the analogy before the game, it makes sense to my children, right? I want that because I want my kids to be healthy, balanced people. And your kids are healthy and balanced, so you have a different faith or you have a distorted view of Jesus. It's all kind of the same. And that mindset is very, very common 
very, very common. So it's fascinating as God is talking to his people about how to connect with his heart, he comes in with this really, really strong statement and he says, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. There is one true God. It is not many gods of equal value. There is one God, all other gods are false. There is one faith, all other faiths are false. And if you want to connect to my heart, you must connect to me and to me alone. It's the same idea that the Apostle Paul leans into in Ephesians chapter four, when he says there is one body, there is one spirit, And just as you were called to be one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Jesus nails this idea in John chapter 14, verse six, where he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father unless they come through me. Jesus would look at us today and perhaps he would say, guys, it's not spirituality, it's not morality, it's not traditional values, it's Knowing, loving, and following me, I am God, there is no other. And if you want to do the hard work of parenting and want to see the results that you dream of, those results must be empowered by God and I am the only God. That's the, that's the core of the Christian faith and it's the centerpiece of the Bible. It's fascinating that God leans into that so heavily. I want you guys to connect with me. I want to bless you. I want to walk through life with you, but we're talking about me. The Lord your God is one, monotheism. I am the God and there is no other. Now, as that is a foundation then, God would in essence say, so as, a, as my followers, what do you do? How do you respond to me, the only God? the only one who can empower you and the only one who can guide your life. And so he starts to teach that in verse five. This is our response. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So God says this is the response. The response isn't more church. The response isn't more good deeds. The response isn't more traditional values. The response that God wants from his people is love. I want you to love me. And maybe you want to do what I did in my Bible. As a parent, I went and I circled all the yours, right? So I went through, love the Lord your God, not a God, your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So it's not as a parent, it's not me looking at my kids and saying, you better learn the golden rule, Billy. Or you better find out how many animals Moses put in the ark, right? I know, I'm just seeing if you're listening. You you better figure, you better get in Sunday school and get your act together. You better get to youth group because you're you're being a jerk right now. No, no, This this is the path There's one God, and I, dad, mom, I am embracing that one God in an intimate love relationship. I'm loving God with my heart, with my soul, with my strength. The truth of God and the love of God and the purpose of God is written on my heart. It's ingrained into my heart. 
And that's the first step I take in parenting. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, because the Bible teaches us that as human beings, life flows from the soul up, from the heart up. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that above all else, we should guard our heart for everything we do flows from it. My heart defines me. So if I interact with God as a self-help tool or as a piece of a balanced life or as anything less than the one true God, if I interact with God as a religion or a tradition, I'm gonna be defined that way in my heart. If I interact with God in a love relationship where my description of my relationship with God is not so much know him, serve him, do what he says, but it's more love him, embrace him. The relationship is more by passion, by devotion, by desire. See? Then God defines me. All of a sudden I'm defined, my heart's defined by Christ. My values are defined by Christ. Truth for me is defined by Christ. Success for me is defined by Christ. The culture of my family is defined by Christ. My marriage is defined by Christ. And my parenting will be defined by Christ. As I give the whole of my heart, my soul, and my strength to God, and his truth is written on my heart, my heart is changed. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that there's a byproduct or there's an outcome of a changed heart. It's called the fruits of the Spirit. So as God changes my heart, the outcome of that heart is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Pretty good parenting tools, right? Anybody need patience in parenting? Gentleness in parenting? Self-control in parenting? And I just described the trip to church, (laughs) right? I need these things in my life but I cannot manufacture them on my own. Where do they come from? From the one true God. How do I take the characteristics of the one true God and weave them and write them onto my heart? By loving and yielding and passionately embracing the one true God. He will come into my life, he will write these things on my heart and they will be the outcome of my life then. Now this is a big deal because as God changes me, I begin to define for my children who God is, what he's like, and what he wants from them. Parenting has very little to do with controlling your kids. Very little to do with managing their diets. Very little to do with their education. And it has everything to do with defining who God is to them. Because parenting is not a social function, it's a spiritual one. And when I parent, whether I intend to or not, I'm parenting to the very soul of my children. I'm not parenting to their head. I'm parenting to their heart. And if I want to define God to them, I must be defined by God. I can't work that stuff up on my own. But God can alter me, change me, and allow me to be the person that he wants me to be. I'm to be ingrained in my love for God. After I recognize the one true God, 
after the one true God defines my heart, I'm changed by it, it's only then that I interact with my kids. See, this is like step three in this fact. It's not, interacting with my kids is not the main point of Deuteronomy chapter six. Interacting with God is the main point of Deuteronomy chapter six. Then I interact with my kids as an overflow, and then this is verse seven. So I yield to the one true God, I love him, I embrace him in a love relationship. He writes on my heart, and then verse seven, then I impress these things on my children. I talk to them about them when I'm sitting at home, when I walk along the road, when I lie down, when I get up. I tie them as symbols on my hands and bind them on my foreheads. I write them on the door frames of my house and on my gates. And guys, that is not a to-do list. That is a description of how I define God to my kids. What is, what is the writer saying? Is the writer saying, you better get this curriculum and you better go through and better make sure they feel, no, no, no. What's, what's he saying? He's saying, love the one true God, be defined by him, and then how do I impress these things on my children? I live with them. I live with them. I, I teach them about God when I get up, when I lie down, when I walk along the road. I bind them on my hands and my forehead. Those are cultural references. I write them on the, 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 uh, the frame of my door, the door frame and on my gates. Those are just cultural references. So we would say it this way today. Um, loving and following Christ is the foundation of my home. Loving and following Christ is the cornerstone of my home. If you were an ancient Israeli Jew, you would say loving and following Christ is the door frame of my home. It's what defines the culture of my home. We live this way, we make these decisions, how come? Because we love Jesus and we're loved by him. Well, how do you teach that to your kids? You shove them in Sunday school, why, you know, and then we go get coffee? No, not what you do. How do you, you live it, you teach them along the way. So as we're moving along the way, Billy, the reason that you don't hit your sister in the face is not because she's my only daughter and I will destroy you, right? It's because Jesus loves your sister. Jesus died for your sister. That hurts the heart of Jesus that you would act in a hateful way toward your sister. The reason that we respect your mother is because Jesus loves your mother, respects your mother. He honors your mother. We wanna be like Jesus to your mom. The reason we don't watch that show in our home is not because we're strict parents and I said so. It's because God wants us to, this, the doorframe of this home is integrity and purity and and we focus on whatever's good and whatever's right, whatever's admirable, whatever's pure. See, that, that's how we live, son. It's how we live, daughter. Well, how do you teach that? As we go through life. Deuteronomy chapter six is not a to-do list. Now catch this, because this is scary. Deuteronomy chapter six simply defines what parents are already doing. Did you catch that? It's not a to-do list. It's not, you better go and get your act together and do these things. It's simply defining what I'm already doing as a parent. I, as a parent, whether I mean to or not, I'm teaching my children what to love by displaying for them what I love. If I love soccer, and I talk about soccer, 
and I play soccer, and I signed them up with soccer when they were still in the crawler league, right? And, and we run around to soccer, and we never miss a soccer game, and we practice soccer drills in, in the front yard, and we think about soccer, and we watch videos on soccer, and we skip church for soccer, and we, the kids get a high five for soccer, and they get yelled at if they don't put enough effort in, and they get a pat on the back if they score a goal. I have just taught my children that I love soccer and that they should too. If I love academics and you better get a good grade and you're going off to this school and, and you better get into college, you better get a full ride and you're, you know, life is going to be a disaster if you don't go to college and, and you, I want A pluses and you're skipping youth group so that you can get an A plus instead of an A minus. And you better, and I get a pat on the back, and I get a high five for my report card. I've just taught my children to love academics. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is not so much what you should do. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what you are doing. And when we will not miss a soccer game and we will go to bed when the football coach says to go to bed and we will eat what the dance teacher tells us to eat because you're 11 and you better lose some weight. But your youth pastor, and I'm too tired to have devotions. And daddy wants a new boat, that's why we don't tithe anymore. I'm teaching my children how to interact with the one true God. And it doesn't matter what I say. It matters who I am. And if I'm not defined by the one true God, I will not define him to my children in a correct way. That's scary. That's parenting. Parenting isn't diapers and driving lessons. It's a soul issue. And parenting is all about who is Christ, and how does he want to interact with you, and how could you interact with him? That's parenting. And that's the lesson that my life is going to teach, regardless of the effort that I put into it. Now, how do we put skin on this a little bit? Because that's huge, right? So what are we supposed to do then? I wrote down some things. These aren't the only things, okay? But they're the things that I could think of. (laughs) So let's just talk about this in broad terms. As a parent, where do I position myself, okay? Like I said, if you're an aunt, an uncle, grandparent, a big brother, big sister, mentor, pull the principles over. Here we go. Practical thoughts about parenting. Here's the first thing that I think the Lord would teach us to do is that we should offer ourselves we should offer ourselves. Because parenting is a matter of the soul, because it's deeper than just cultural behavior, you have a connection with your children that no one else can have, right? Any of us who have lost parents know that. That that once that relationship is gone, it's gone. And other people can step in and help out, but there's a longing that we have. Any of us that didn't know our parents, we've longed for them our whole life because it's a soul connection. That's a privilege, and that's also a major responsibility because what that means is that literally as a mom and a dad, nobody can take your place. 
No coach can step in. No youth pastor can step in. No teacher can step in. No mentor can step in. There is a place in the heart of your children that you belong. So as a parent, one of the great reminders of parenting is that I have to bring myself to the table. When I see my kids for 10 minutes, they spend eight hours with a teacher and four hours with a soccer coach, and then I see them as a half hour as I watch American Pickers right before they go to bed. See, I've just defined something. I've given up something that only I can do. So in parenting, I offer myself. Now, it doesn't, doesn't mean that they don't play sports or go to dance classes. It's not what that means. Don't hear it wrong. It means that I involve myself I coach through, I talk through life. If, if I could coach my kids about life as much as I coach them how to hit a curveball, the difference that would make, okay? So I might have to govern back my life to make availability for parents. Climbing up the ladder is not as important as investing in my children. Getting all the toys is not as important as giving myself to my children. I don't need to buy them all the toys. They just want to be with me. So practical way to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 is to bring myself to the table and to cause myself to be one of the focal points in my children's life. Second practical thought about parenting is the guard your definitions. We talked about this some. We are defining God's relationship with our children and their relationship with him, whether we mean to or not. So I define what's valuable according to how I invest myself. When we'll kill ourselves for the soccer tournament, but we don't feel like going to church today, we haven't made a decision, we've made a statement. When we do everything that the math teacher says, but we don't remotely put that kind of intellectual energy into learning the Bible, I haven't made a decision, I've made a statement. I'm defining for my children what is good and what is right. And if I define for them a casual, religiously traditional relationship with God, they will probably mimic that in their lives. Okay? It may be that that missions trip is actually more important than that vacation. And it may, need, may be that you need to not just send them with the youth group, maybe you need to go right? So guard your definition. Just always aware of that. I'm making statements. I'm teaching all the time, even with the, what I might think of as the little things that I do in life. Third thing, aim for their hearts. Aim for their hearts. In parenting, I got six kids, right? So that doesn't make me a good parent. That just makes me exhausted and broke, right? So when I'm exhausted and broke, what I want is to not be exhausted and broke anymore, so when my kids are being who they are, if there's a discipline issue, what, what my temptation is, is to control it, make that issue go away so I can be left alone. It's my great dream in life to be left alone, right? So can you control your kids? Yes. There is a little window in life that you can control your kids. From about zero to seven or eight, you can control your kids. They'll basically do whatever you want, and if they won't do it, you can physically manhandle them, right? So I have a six-year-old. I can still pick him up and place him where I want him to be, right? But he's being a booger. I sit him in his room. 
And when he's upset about it, I just shut the door. And he'll eventually cry and, and, until he passes out. And then it's quiet, right? And I can watch the game again. That can happen. I have a 15-year-old that looks like he's 20 that looks me in the eye. We were uh, on vacation this summer, and we were hiking this canyon that there was this river in this canyon. It's out in Utah. And we got hot, and so we jumped in the river to cool off. And it led to a wrestling match. So my five boys and my daughter that wouldn't have done it on her own, but they were corrupted by her demon-possessed brothers because she almost sinned the other day, but she stopped herself. So she didn't realize what she'd get into. So we're wrestling, and they think they can take me. So my oldest son looked at me. They ripped my shirt. This is how like, aggressive. They ripped my shirt. This is how aggressive this wrestling match was in the middle of this river. And my son looked at me. He said, you look like an albino gorilla with chicken legs, <laughs> right? Which is fair, frankly, you know? And so I'm like, and he's like, you're fat and you're old. And that. So they get cocky. They're wrestling me. Well, they fail to remember that dad's got that old man's strength. I am fat and old, but I'm still stronger than you, right? And so it's full on and we're dunking each other. And I held him underwater for that comment till he passed out. And I let him up. His mom gave him mouth to mouth. It's fine. And so we're... It was all, it was, it was a blast and we're walking out of there and I am like sore and exhausted but not letting on and I'm thinking to myself, maybe one or two more summers I can take these boys. But when the 12 year old turns 13, 14 and I'm like, I'm, I, they'll kill me. They will kill me, right? That's why I'm giving all my money to my daughter because she'll care for me. But they won't. They'll rob me blind. And I, I want you to know that so you can call the authorities. But the thought that I'm going to control him, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't manhandle my 15-year-old if I wanted to. He's a man, right? I can get in a shoving match with him. How many of you guys got in shoving matches with your dad? We could throw some punches. See? Or I can work really hard to aim at his heart and all my kids' hearts because the days of me manipulating and controlling, you can do it when they're itty-bitty, but the rest of their life, if you don't have a connection to their soul, you tend not to have a voice in their life. I gotta remember that because usually I just want you to be quiet, right? But down deep, what I want is I, I want you to know I love you, and I want to know that you love me, and more than all that, I want you to know who God is. God aims for our heart, not our behavior. If you aim for our behavior, we all be zapped by now. Fourth thing, seek training. Seek training. Guys, the stats would say that at least 50% of us grew up in broken homes, right? Maybe more. And so for many of us, and that, that doesn't even count dysfunctional homes, right? Because that, that's kind of the way that I grew up. My folks were great, but they were dysfunctional. They were raised in abusive homes, birds of a feather dysfunction together, and then they raised their family, right? So many of us would look and say, not only do I have the normal fears of parenting, I have no skills. I don't even, I don't even know how to be married, let alone raise children. And when I look around, I, I'm not going to look at my parents, right? They're like anti-parents. I don't want to do any of that. I don't know what to do. Now, listen, 
That's not a big deal. It's normal. It's not a big deal. Don't stay there. Go for training. If it was any other aspect of your life, you would go for training. If your boss walked in and said, you need to learn this new software, we're changing the company over. If you looked at him and said, I don't know how to do that. Can't, forget it. I'm using the old stuff. He would say, let me drive you to the unemployment office, right? There's no other, we won't settle for our golf swing. Being bad, we'll get a coach. We'll get a coach for our finances. We'll get a coach for technology. We learn all the time. But for some reason, sometimes we get a defeatist mindset with parenting and we'll, we'll kind of say, well, we're going to survive it instead of thrive in it. So a practical outcome of this is I love God. God changes me. I have a different vision for my kids. I have no idea how to pull off. Get trained. How do you get trained? Find a mentor, okay? Look at an older couple in the church. By the way, they're all over the place at the church. And look at a couple who has raised their kids. Their nests are empty. Their kids are relatively stable and they love Jesus. And go pick their brain. The first thing they'll tell you is, we feel blessed. We don't really know what we did. You start asking them questions and you'll find out that their experience is greater than they realized. And you can start getting those tips. If you can't get them from your mom and dad, that's fine. You have spiritual family that will give them to you. And those older couples would love to share that experience with you, okay? Get biblical training. I don't know what the Bible says about parenting. That's no big deal. You can find out. Emmaus training here, we talk parenting all the time. And the Bible has a lot to say, not formulas, principles, but a lot to say about parenting. Beat the learning curve. If you didn't grow up learning the Bible, it's not a big deal. You can learn the Bible now, but take the step to be trained. And then I, I would say this, get a team. Get a team. It's moms matters. It's your life group, see? Looking at some, when your kid is freaking out and you're thinking, oh my word, I think I have a devil spawn. I think that's my kid. And you look over and this family over here, their kid is doing the exact same thing and you realize it's not demon possession, it's just a phase. That helps a ton. My best friend, his son is a year older than my oldest. It's great because he makes all these mistakes. His kid is is shot for life, but I get to learn, right? I, I need that. I need that. I'm like, oh, you did that? Yeah, we did. See, it's so helpful. So be proactive in that. Don't, don't look and say, man, God, God has called me to something and I can't do it. What? He's called you to something because he can do it and he wants you to do it and he can empower you to do it. And getting into biblical community to find the resources for that is a very, very normal thing to do. So go for it. Fifth, final thing. Set a vision for your kids. Set a vision for your kids. Guys, one of the, one of the strongest things I would encourage you to do is to not, not get caught in the moment. My mom always said, I'm not your friend. I'm your mom. I'll be your friend later. And my dad would say that. He'd say, I'm your father. I'm not your friend. I'm your father. And that was their kind of unrefined way of saying this. Son, you're throwing a fit right now. We have a vision for your life. So we know that this decision is better for you than you know. So even though you're throwing a fit, we're going to lead you instead of making you happy. 
and you're going to thank us for it later. You get to be friends with your kids one day. It's great. Usually when they're adults and they have kids. And usually after you have kids, you go back to your parents and you're like, I am so sorry for everything that I ever, <laughs> right? Because all of a sudden you start to relate to your mom and dad in ways that you can only relate to them in parenting. If you have children right now, your job is not to be their buddy. Your job is to be their leader. Set a vision, husband, wife. Sometimes, even in a divorce, if, there's a, if the relationship is healthy enough, you can do this even in a divorce situation. What is our vision for our kids? And guard that vision, because the vision should not be varsity soccer, should not be college scholarship. What is, what is our vision for godliness? We envision our kids loving the poor. Well, we better be involved in their lives now. We envision our kids loving the body of Christ, the church. Well, that probably defines a decision. See, I want to do this every weekend. No, this is the priority. This is the door frame of our families, how we live, okay? So setting that vision. Don't just get caught in the moment because you'll, you'll get sucked into teenager world and baby world and you'll just spoil them, making them happy all the time, Right? Think long-term and lead them. And, and it's, it's lonely sometimes to lead your kids. Okay? But in the long run, what you define for them is worth it. Parenting is not about control. Okay? That, that's not the point of discipline. Parenting is not about social norms. It's a social structure. You gotta, no, no, no. Parenting is about the soul. And as I connect with the one true God and I love him and receive his love and he changes me, that what he brings out of my heart, the wellspring of life, is him, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as I, empowered by him, exercise those things through the normal course of living with my children, I, as a parent, define God to my kids. I define his love for them. I define their, their response to him. Okay? That's what parenting is. Guys, if you have lousy parents, one of the greatest promises in Scripture is that, that there's a heavenly father who loves you and will never leave you or forsake you. And because parenting is about the soul, the only person outside of your mom and dad who can step into your life and satisfy that void in your soul is your heavenly father who gave you that soul in the first place. That is a great, great hope. It's good news of great joy, right? It's the way the Bible would say it. Because it means that I, even with bad, neglectful, or absent parents, I'm not adrift I can break this cycle as God empowers me. That's, 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 what I, that's how I grew up. Two parents who let Christ fill the voids. See, grateful to them. Parents, if you have rebellious children, every parent relates to you, be careful that you don't allow the evil one to look at you and say, well, you screwed up, therefore. Your children have their own will. They must respond to God. 
And the best parents sometimes have the most rebellious children. And the worst parents sometimes have the most Christ-centered children. The ultimate question in parenting is not the outcome of my kids. It's my intimacy with God. He has to be involved and they have to respond. Okay? So be encouraged with that. Be strengthened. Find endurance from it that I can keep pressing into God, I can keep surrendering my children back to God, and then he will do with them what he will, and they must respond to them, okay? So be careful about thinking there's a formula that you missed. Stay focused on Jesus, and he'll be the author and the perfecter even of your faith. I want to close this way this morning. I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's just pray some today. And if you're a parent, I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to talk to God about deepening your relationship with him, yielding yourself to him. No matter what stage of parenting you're at, little kids, adult children, doesn't matter. God empowering each step along the way. If you're not a parent, if you're a child at any level, young, student, or even adult, I want you to pray for your parents, okay? Every parent is a rookie at whatever stage of life you're at. Never done it before. So they need your help. They need God's help. They need God's wisdom. They need God's discernment. So ask that he would interact with them in that way and ask that they would open up their hearts and be responsive to him.